For the rest of us, we're diving into the Word. The Word. There is nothing like the Word of God, right? Nothing like the Word of God to release um, pretty much anything into our lives. I mean, every one of His promises are yes and amen. Um, And so, we'll just forget about technology today, whatever. (laughs) But this morning, what I felt God calling us back to is actually back to the basics. Back to the basics. Um, There we go. Back to the basics um, of where this all begins. Where our new life begins. Where our old life dies. I mean... That's, that's literally what the Word of God says that, that needs to happen to our old selves. You are not who you used to be. The moment that you say, yes, Lord, to Jesus, He will take your life and start birthing something new inside of you. Something new and beautiful. Something greater than you ever could have been on your own. And this all begins on that firm foundation of our faith. So Meg, firm foundation of our faith. Faith in the, um, in the Greek language, language is the word uh, pistis, and it is defined as an assurance, a guarantee, a firm persuasion, and a conviction, and it's all based on hearing, all based on hearing. Faith is just, just being sure, having that guarantee. In fact, Whenever we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a mark and a seal that we are His. And the Holy Spirit is that guarantee that we have, that we are a new person, that we have begun our new life in Christ. Right here, right now, eternal life began. I mean, I can't wait till I get my resurrected body and everything's, you know, the glorified body, but... Eternal life begins here and now. And the Bible defines faith as this, Meg, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And I know this is review for most of us, but just hang in there because I think that God wants to breathe a fresh breath of life into this reality of what faith is. The NIV defines it as uh, confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Uh, The ESV and NASB defines it as the assurance of things that we hope for and a conviction of things not seen. Um, The the Good News Translation says to have faith is to be sure of things we hope for, certain things we can't see. Again, uh, King James, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. It's a pretty cool idea and concept. Faith is the evidence of things that you can't see. You can't scientifically prove it, but it's there. Until it comes to pass, then it can be proven. It's the evidence and it's the substance. Uh, The New Living Translation says it's confidence of the things that we hope for, that they will actually happen. And it says that it gives us assurance about things we can't even see. Um, The Amplified, it says that it's the assurance, it's the title deed, the confirmation of things that we hope for, that are divinely guaranteed. And it's the evidence, the conviction of their reality. It says that faith comprehends as fact the things that cannot be experienced by the physical senses, the amplified version. It's the, 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 the certainty that what cannot be um, uh, you know, um, obtained, it cannot be experienced by the physical senses, we are um, certain of it. We comprehend it's there. Uh, faith brings our hopes into reality, the Passion Translation. And it becomes the foundation needed to acquire 
all of the things we long for. It's the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. And the message says that it's the fundamental fact of existence. And it's all trust in God. Faith is the firm foundation under everything else that even makes life worth living. It's our handle, our grip on things that we cannot see. So you're getting this picture of how the Bible defines faith. Faith is just, you can just taste it. You can just see it. You just, you know it's coming. You know it's going to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet. And we have faith for a lot of bad things, right? You know, I know it's just going to get worse. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, and then, then it does, you know. But faith, faith in God is always hoping for good things. Always believing that things are going to improve. That things are going to get better. It's, it's that confidence that, God, you said it, it is going to happen. It's a certainty within your spirit that you just, you can't explain. But man, when it is there, it's like, you know, our, our dogs, you know, they're such sweet dogs and they share with our cats and everything. But if we ever eat a steak, and we have a bone, and you give that dog one of those bones, you better not get near that sweet, precious little dog. That's what we are like. We are such just, you know, passionate, peaceful people. But you try to take away a promise of God from us, and you're going to see a warrior arise. You're going to see that lion or lioness within you, right? That lion of Judah <coughs> rise up. That's what we ought to be like when it comes to the promises of God. Now, oh, there's no way. You're not going to steal this from me. This is not how this is going to end because my God said this. That's, that's the Christian life. Standing firmly on the word of God, the promises of God in faith. Even though your facts aren't lining up with it right now, you stand in faith that those facts are going to bow their knee to the name of Jesus and to what he declares and he proclaims. That's what faith is all about. Faith is where new life in Christ begins, Meg. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. Right? It is by grace, God's grace, that you've been saved. But it's through faith. And it's not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not earned by works so that no one can boast. But we are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved by God's grace alone. It is a free gift. God's little gracelet, right? Everything we receive from God is by his grace, but we receive it through our faith. You know, um, it, it, I don't want to use that nasty analogy. Let's talk about um, clean water this morning, you know. God provides, you know, that water. It's kind of like when you turn on your spigot, you know. All the provision that you'll ever need is there. It's there. But what do you have to do to receive it? You have to turn on the, the, the spigot. You have to turn the valve to release it. And that's sort of what our faith is. Our faith is sort of like that valve that either stops the promises of God or opens our lives wide up to every one of them. Right? We want to be a wide open valve. We don't want to hold back. We don't want to be a people that shrinks back from God, right? No matter what impossibility rises up, there is nothing impossible for our God. Nothing too hard for Him. We cannot ever, ever, ever do enough good works to outweigh the consequences of our sin. Faith just, you know, it just doesn't work that way. You know, 
the enemy likes to make us believe that if you just do enough good, then you're going to be good by God. You're okie-dokie, you know? But you know that that doesn't hold up in any court of man, right? You know, you get drug into court before the judge, and you're like, yeah, but for, you know, I know I shot that guy in the head, but I mean, for decades, decades of my life, I did all this good stuff. Do you think the judge is going to be like, oh, you're right, one bad thing and all this good stuff, you're good, you're, go for it. No, if you break the law, you pay the penalty for breaking the law, right? It's just a reality. I'm sorry boring everybody but it's no different in god's in god's courtroom as it is anywhere else and the fact is all of us are guilty we're all guilty we've all broken the law at some point the really really tough part in god's court is there's only one consequence for every every breakage of the law right it's eternal torment i mean man ouch (laughs) and i would say that that's not just until you look at what god did to make it just you know he took on the penalty of our sin. He took on our guilt, our shame, our everything. He knew we couldn't do it on our own, so he paid the penalty. So we have a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's just putting faith in Jesus. It's really that simple. That's where our life begins. We put our faith in him. He forgives us of all of our sin. We're righteous in his sight, right? We're a brand-new creation. He starts doing something awesome in our lives. And it's not by anything that we've done to earn it. It's just by his gift, the gift that he purchased for us. We are saved because we're saved. We do good works not to get saved, but to express our faith, to express our gratitude for God because we're just so thankful for what he has done. That's why we do good works. And we do good works to show other people the goodness of God so that people can see God in and through our lives. We're not perfect people. We screw up all the time, but God is good through it all. That's what our works reveal. They show our faith. They prove our faith to those around us. We don't do good works to earn God's love or grace, but have gratitude for all those things. He freely gifted us. Faith is the beginning. And Meg, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 15 goes on to say this. It says, How the, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Just believe in your heart He's Lord and say it with your mouth, right? I mean, if you believe and profess it, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So if you're feeling a little shame this morning, it's not going to end there. Not if you give it over to the Lord. It's not going to end in shame. It's going to take that away. And verse 12, for there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. The Lord is the same Lord of all. And he will richly bless anyone who calls on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in verse 14, yeah, it's awesome. Here's the tough part, right? But how can anyone call on the one that they haven't believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've never heard of? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
And if you want to just take a look underneath your, not pew, but your chair there, those are some beautiful feet. Those are the feet! All nine, ten coming toes that I've got here. Yeah, I'm literally missing a toe, but it's coming. Um, mm-hmm. Faster ten toes I am. <laughs> I love it. It's going to be such a cool miracle when it happens. I mean, God's going to get so much glory. It's, it's going to be awesome. But um, you have been sent. You've been sent. So as, as Christians, you can get bitter and religious and grouchy about you know, all those sinners that won't accept his salvation. But guess what? You're the reason they haven't received it. Because we're the ones that go out there and share the good news about Jesus. They can't call on Jesus' name if they don't even know who Jesus is. Like, hey Zeus, like, is that another guy that came across the border and shouldn't have? You know, they, There are people in our community. I know it's hard to believe for those who are older than me, but there are people in our community, they've never heard about Jesus. You know, you talk about part in the Red Sea, and they're like, what in the world are you talking about? They've never heard these stories. They weren't raised up in church. They, you know, they've never read the Bible. They have never heard the good news about Jesus. So hard to believe in our conservative little rural community, but it is so true. And it should be so heartbreaking to us. Because how can they believe? How can they hear? How can they call on Jesus if they've never heard about Jesus? And how can they hear about Jesus if no one ever shares about him with them? Our commission, our job, our responsibility. But we see here that believing in our heart, professing, with our, uh, professing our faith with our mouths are two crucial components of our new life in Christ. The words you speak are powerful. We talked about that a week or two ago, all right? Words we speak are powerful. And most of us are comfortable with the whole believing in your heart part, right? It's easy to believe in our heart, but sometimes it's tough to share your faith. Sometimes it's tough when life isn't going well to declare the truth of God. I don't know about you all, but it sounds like worship's kind of quiet here some Sundays, you know? Man, we should be a people just extravagantly giving back our gratitude for Him. Whether you can carry a note or not, whatever, just give up a shout of praise, you know? I mean, there's freedom in this house. Worship however you're led to. There's something powerful that breaks the power of the enemy and breaks the power of our fleshly old self trying to rise up when we just start speaking about it. When we start, David had to tell his soul, you know, like that song that we sang this morning, you know, uh, you know, don't get shy on me, soul. Like, come on, come on, praise the Lord. You've got a song to sing. You've got some praises to declare. You've got some truth to, to prophesy. Don't get shy about it. Open your mouth and let it out, Right? There's power when it breaks. It's so simple. And although faith, Meg, is where our new life in Christ begins, faith is also how we receive every promise of God. Faith is that foundation, as Hebrews 11:1 1 told us. It is the foundation on which you build everything in this new life. It doesn't matter how long you have been in the Lord, it's still that basic of faith that we got to go back to. To receive everything from him. Every single promise comes through faith, through our faith. We don't receive them through good works. You don't forfeit them through good. Isn't that great? You know, if I don't receive them by good works, then you don't forfeit them by screwing up and sinning. Isn't that cool? I love that about the gifts and the callings of God. You can't screw them up because they're a, a free gift, anyways, to begin with. They're a free gift. 
We do good works obediently as the Spirit leads as a result of our faith. It's a result of our faith. As we walk through life with God, we have a tendency to become a little more reserved and conservative in a detrimental way, in a bad way. And I never thought I'd speak poorly of those things, you know, from the stage here. And by the way, this is a brand new message. I, I threw out two messages this week, so if I'm reading a lot, he just gave this to me Friday. It was so much better than everything else I wrote. I love it. His, his is so much better. This is so cool. But we've become so conservative in a detrimental way. We begin to lean on our own abilities, on our own resources. We start to lean on our own understanding, and we justify it by labeling it wisdom and good stewardship. And we quote all these Bible verses about our lack of faith. Our lack of faith. I know, I feel the same way about it, you know? <laughs> I love that sound. I love it. Oh, so blessed. But we do. You know, we start cozying up in our comfort zone, and we start justifying our apathy for the Lord. We lose our boldness. We lose our courageous. We start losing our faith. Because I don't know about you all, but whenever I first started, like you can ask my in-laws, they started telling me to check my Bible at the door. They were tired of hearing about it. I mean, there was nothing. I just wanted to see the entire world saved. And I was pretty foolish in my approach to you know, a lot of things. I've learned some wisdom, but man, I wish I had that boldness back that nothing mattered, you know? We used to walk around the streets of containing just telling people about Jesus, you know, and I was living in sin at the time. I mean, I was a mess, you know, but it didn't matter because God, you know, and it's just, uh, I, I could go on and on and on about some of those days, and I need some of that back. I've gotten so cozy and comfortable in my life, you know, and the sad thing is most of our Christianity really requires no faith at all. We're not stepping out of our abilities. We're not stepping beyond our resources. We're not trying to do something that we could never do on our own. In other words, you need no faith. No faith at all, right? That's what Christianity has become. We've kind of put it in this cute little box that we can stay within and, you know, check off our good deeds that we've done. You know, we've prayed, we've read the Bible, we've done our devotional. You know, we've, uh, you know, we've done something good. We've given to the food pantry or helped out a neighbor. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but faith begins where we end. How often do we step out into that place? How often do we step out in a place where this is totally impossible? Like, I'm having so much fun returning full-time here. I'm like, this is totally impossible. It's impossible for the church. It's impossible for our families. It's impossible for everything. But God's calling us, so it's going to happen. It was so much fun. I, I, I went back into uh, it, to the office in Indiana, and I met with all the, the big executives, you know, and it's like, <laughs> God's calling me, so it doesn't matter what you offer. I mean, you know, because what I already have is more. It doesn't matter what God is calling He's going to provide. Remember last week? You put him first. You prepare the offering. You become that bowl, and he will fill it up, right? If you take that bowl away and you get first things last, it doesn't matter how much gets poured in. It's never going to be enough. It'll just get blown away, wasted away. You've got to put God first, and then you, got, you give him something to build in, right? God gets excited about that when you step out in faith. God's like, finally, now I can get to work. Because you've been toiling and wearying yourself. You are so burdened. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. It's about time you stopped relying on yourself and started relying on me. Like, I just see God getting so excited when we choose to do that. You know, when it cannot be us anymore. How much more could God accomplish 
through us if we were just willing to step out of our comfort zones beyond ourselves into the realm of faith where it absolutely has to be God because there's no way, no earthly way it could possibly happen, right? No earthly way it could happen. If we really, really analyze ourselves, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy and he said, he talked about the last days, about what they would become. And of course, we see all those things happening. But one of the most terrible things that Paul wrote to Timothy and he said would happen is that he said in the last days, people would become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That they would have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And every time I read those scriptures, it pierces my heart because I believe that is like the United States church in a nutshell. Lovers of pleasure. The AC broke, I'm gone. You know, somebody said something to offend me. Oh, another church, here I come. You know, I mean, pleasure, comfort, you know, rather than lovers of God. You know, that agape love that just sacrifices self, you know. Um, and, and you have a form of godliness where a spiritual people, but our spirituality requires no power of God. It doesn't display or manifest the power of God. And when the power of God starts manifesting itself, people get squirmy and uncomfortable, and they want nothing to do with it, right? It's, it's true. I, I'm one of them. I've got to lay down some of my preconceived notions about God. Let him out of that box. Let that lion out of the cage, right? Lion of Judah is ready to get to work. But he's such a good, loving God. He doesn't force himself on us, right? He waits for us to give him permission. And then he's like, yeah, let's do this. He's waiting for permission. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 13, right? Because we should probably go to the scriptures about all of this. Here's this reality. And I have a feeling there's a lot of us here this morning that are in this same place that Abraham and Sarah were. It's a good place to be in because God's about to get to work, right? Maggie. Oh, never mind. You already got it. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that they would become heirs of the world. And I love this. When God spoke to Abraham and he said, you are the father of many nations. Your offspring are as, as you know, many as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. To God in eternity, he was speaking truth. It already was. Because he saw the end result. He saw you and I as children of Abraham by faith. He saw it. But Abraham, he was in this world and he didn't see things from god's perspective and we're going to talk about that here i believe that god wants us to literally as the psalms say lift up our eyes to the hills up above get out of yourselves like just get get out of yourself i don't know how, how else to, to describe that but we're so full of ourselves and god wants to Lift us up out of that thing so we could see our lives from his perspective, see our future from his perspective. And that's why you can prophesy like it's already done. Because when God declares it, it is already done to him. He's in eternity. He sees the end, right? He sees it. He is just speaking truth. But we, when we speak the truth of God, we're prophesying because it doesn't look like that now. But we speak it, and then it comes. Mm, you prophesy to those dry bones. And then the ligaments start happening, and rattling starts going, and bones starts growing. Next thing you know, you got an army of the Lord. It starts with your words. Speak what God says. Speak what God says. Not what's going wrong around you. 
Man, we give so much glory and honor and praise to that. That's what we talk about to each other, right? We love to have our pity parties, our, our sorrow fests. And in the Christian community, we even, oh, let's pray for you. And I'm not, we need to do that. We need to do that. We want broken people to come in, but we want to tend in healing. We, we want literally broke people to come in and, and to receive all the provision they need, whatever that looks like. But we speak, we speak, we speak, we speak. And we continue in this to learn about this. In verse 14, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith is meaningless. And in fact, God's promise is worthless because the law only brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. You get this idea? You can't earn the promises of God by being good and obeying the law. The only thing the law does is say when you're bad. The only thing that, you know, that 55 mile per hour, you know, marker out there does is say when you're wrong, when you've, you know, gone over that limit, right? That's what the law does is it sets that limit. And it's only good for pretty much condemning you when you screw up, right? That's pretty much what the law does. It brings condemnation. It's so different with God's law. All that God's law does when I read about it is like, oh man, I'm such a bonehead, (laughs) like, why do I keep doing this? I know it's wrong. I know it's not, you know. All it does is bring shame and condemnation and judgment and wrath and, you know, everything on us. Whew. Praise be to God, we live by the Spirit and not the law. We're aware of the law so that we can walk in His freedom, but we're not bound by the law. I, I don't lose my good standing with God because of uh, my sin, because I never earned good standing in the law by, in, in His eyes by not. The only reason I have good standing and I'm righteous in God's sight is because of Jesus, the work he did, right? And so we continue on. I'm sorry, I'm I'm sidetracking here. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it might be great by grace and guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Not only those who are of the law, Jewish people, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. And I'm a Gentile, you know. I, I didn't receive the promise except by faith. So good. For those who depend on the law, um, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, I continue on here. He is the father of us all. Father Abraham, they made sons, right? Many sons of Father Abraham, we were one of them by faith. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He was a father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead. The God who calls things that are not as if though they are. That's what prophecy is. That's what God does. He calls things that are not as if though they were. That's why I'm Pastor Ten Toes, even though I have nine toes. You know, you call things that are not as if though they were. And guess what God does? So often, God sees that faith. He hears that prophetic proclamation and he brings it. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can do it. It's by faith. And here's how it happened with Abraham. In verse 18, against all hope. Okay, there is no reason to hope for this. No reason for them to feel good about this word or to believe it at all. It was a bunch of rubbish, you know, in in worldly eyes. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. In fact, it says in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He's about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. She was in her 90s. Ever, ever hear of a 90-year-old woman giving birth naturally? No, it's unheard of. 
They face the facts. Faith is not denying the facts. In a lot of Pentecostal circles, in a lot of faith, you know, cultures, that's what we say. But it's not true. God's word just said it there. They face the fact. Their bodies were as good as dead. Sarah's womb, it wasn't about to produce any children. But they believed in God. They put their faith in what he said, not in their circumstances. Right? You can ha faith is actually... Why would you come to Jesus for healing if you won't admit the fact that you got a disease and you need healed, right? That is foolishness. That is not faith. Be, be, being a, a word of faith person is about facing the facts, speaking the facts. You're not cursing yourself by speaking the facts, okay? You're just being truthful. He is the spirit of truth. But believing in God to trump those facts... This is what my circumstances say. This is what my body is saying. But God says this. This is what the doctor says. But God has declared this. That by his stripes, I am healed. Jesus went around healing every sickness, every disease. Never once did he turn anyone away. It's his will. It's his ability. And, and so we believe that's faith. Faith is admitting the facts, but believing in God in spite of them. Believing that there's nothing too hard for God, even though this is impossible by man. And it goes on in verse 20. Yet he did not waver. He didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. It strengthened his faith. 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 It strengthened his faith and he gave glory to God. That's why we give y'all opportunities to give praise and worship and flags, dance, just declaring, praying, singing, playing. If you want to play, let me know, please, because let me know. Um... <laughs> Give glory to God before the receipt of the promise. That's actually how you receive it, <laughs> by faith. And he goes on, he says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Because he said, it says he gave glory to God. In verse 21, it says he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Do we believe that God has the power to do what he promises? He doesn't need us. We're irrelevant. All he needs us for is the faith to believe in him, the power that he promised. And it says that's why it was credited him to his righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not just for him, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. It's for all of us who believe in him, in Jesus who was raised from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, but he was raised to life for our justification. It's an awesome churchy word that we might talk about in Daryl's class. Justification. It's through him. Jesus could not do miracles. We actually read in the Bible the phrase, Jesus could do no miracles there. I thought there was nothing too hard for God. I thought God could do absolutely anything, right? This is not an insignificant phrase, and it's recorded by both Matthew and Mark. Jesus could not do any miracles. Meg, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, we're going to read it there. Um, Jesus went back to his hometown, his people, his friends, his family. They grew up together. They knew each other. And whenever Jesus, probably, I think this is when he uh, quoted Isaiah 61, they said, Ain't that the carpenter? This is Mary's son. He's the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon. So how many brothers did Jesus have? Four. 
And it also says this, aren't his sisters here with us? Jesus had sisters. If you ever wondered that, there it is. Whoop, there it is, right? And it says, and they took offense at him. Who does he think he is? Does he remember that time out by the creek? He was with us then, you know? This is just Jesus. We grew up together, right? They took offense because they're like, who does he think he is? This is Jesus. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and even in his own home. It says in verse 5, he could not do any miracles there. Could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. <laughs> I'll take it, Lord! Give me no miracles in this place. Just lay, lay hands on a few sick people and, and heal them, you know? I, I call that a miracle, but Jesus, what does that indicate? Even the few people he healed, he had such, he had much bigger plans for that place. There were more miraculous things he wanted to do in that place, but because of their lack of faith, because they took offense at him, he couldn't do it. And that's literally what it says, because of their lack of faith, he couldn't do any miracles there. How often do we miss out simply because we're unwilling to step out in faith? How often does God want to pour out a miracle in your life and he can't do it because we're waiting for the miracle before we take the step? We're waiting on God. God's waiting for us. And guess what happens? Stalemate. Nothing's happening. We're waiting on God to do a miracle and God's waiting on us to step out so he can do the miracle. The, the, the Jordan at its flood stages, did he make it dry ground and say, okay, go on across? No, he said, you take the step. And as they walked into the flooded river, it became dry ground. And you know how he did that? Because long before they took a step, he stopped. He built a dam way up river. He knew dry ground was coming. They didn't. They had to believe what he said. That water was heaped up upstream. They had to step into the flood waters. And as they were walking, God's perfect timing it became dry ground. How many times is God waiting for us to take the step? And we're like, well, this just don't make any sense. These numbers aren't lining up this, you know, whatever, you know. And we just stay stagnant. And what happens when things become stagnant? You know, what, what happens to a child when it stops moving in the womb? Or its heart stops beating? Or if any of our hearts stop beating for that matter? In fact, I think if I stopped moving, I'd probably die. I just can't. So I put this thing back up here, but it's such a hindrance, you know? It's like, anyways. Ugh. I'm just, I'm not a pulpit kind of guy. Um, we die, right? What happens to faith that is not worked, according to James? It's dead. How many of us, we think we're walking in faith, but actually, everything we're doing, we could do with or without Jesus. Let's just be honest with each other. Everything I'm doing, I could do on my own. If that is what your Christian life looks like, then you're not living a Christian life because Jesus, look at his ministry in those three years. Nothing that he did, he could have done on his own. In fact, he admitted that. Everything I do, it's not me. I'm just doing what I see the Father doing. He's doing, he's cooperating with the heavenly realms. How often are we missing out because we just don't step outside of ourselves to do something that's impossible by us? 
but possible through him. In fact, this is one of Jesus' spoken concerns about the condition of things that he entrusted to us when the time came for his return, Meg. He said in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Sure, he might find a huge church. He might find mega churches that have awesome social programs and good worship and, you know, some, they're sharing the word of God. But are they doing anything by faith that they couldn't do on their own ability? It's not, is he going to find whatever? It's, is he going to find faith? Is he going to find a people that are still fervently seeking after him, still living their lives abandoned to self? so that only that new life can, can come forth. You know, when teaching about the arguable matters about meat being sacrificed to idols, Paul made this incredibly bold statement about the church to the church in Rome, Meg. If you want to move ahead here to Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 23, it says, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat that meat because their eating is not from faith. And he makes this bold statement. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that... I'm, I always struggled with this verse. I'm like, God, I'm, how can this be sin? Like, you know, I'm doing something good. But if you're doing good works, not out of faith, not by faith, then you're just doing your own thing. And isn't that sin? Doing our own thing instead of doing God's thing. You can be doing a lot of good things and God calls it sin. What did Jesus say? Many will come before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, oh, get this. I love it. It was so much fun. I prophesied in your name. I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I raised the dead in your name, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you evil doer. Get away from me. How can you call raising the dead and healing the sick and prophesying and declaring God's truth all in Jesus' name? How can you call that evil doing? Well, Jesus did. Why? Were they doing it by faith? I've never thought about this before. It messes with my theology. How can I prophesy and be in sin by doing it? How? Are you doing it by faith? Are you doing it as God calls you to do it? I know, it should get really quiet right here. It is tough. This is a tough word. Receive it if you can. Doubt leads us to condemnation, and everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. The Passion Translation says it this way. For anything that we do that doesn't spring from faith is by definition sinful. By definition sinful. Man, I, I'm still chewing on this word. This is, this is a hard teaching. But the righteous are called to live by what? Faith. There's only one way to please God according to his word. And how do you do it? By faith. Everything's by faith. Faith, 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 right? Even when I love God and love others, I'm doing it in faith. I'm not doing it on my own accord and my own abilities. Um, and uh, just, wow. It's a tough word, right? But he goes on in verse 23, and the message translation says this, you're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. Sometimes I love the message translation, you know. You're fortunate if your behavior and your beliefs are coherent, if you're, you're living out your faith. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you're acting in ways that are inconsistent with what you believe, some days you're trying to oppose your opinions on others, other days you're just trying to please them, then you already know you're out of line. In other words, that's how the other translations say, if you're, if you're walking in doubt, you're already condemned. 
In fact, James says that the man who doubts, he's like an, un, an unstable, you know, getting flown around by the waves and the wind. Unstable in all that you do. And you won't receive anything from God. It's not a life of faith. A life of faith is steadfast on the firm foundation of God and his word, right? And the, the message found, uh, translation goes on to say, if the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. It's sin. Just Roy Allah puts it in plain English, right? If you're not living by what you believe, then it's wrong. And that's why it was an arguable matter. If they chose not to eat meat sacrificed by idols, then they were walking in faith. If those believe that those idols are nothing, that meat's nothing, I'm chowing down, they're making their decision by faith. Two completely polar opposite decisions. One was in sin if they ate meat sacrificed by idols. One was in sin if they didn't eat faith. So it's like, that's a catch-22. What do I do? Walk by faith. Live by faith. Right? That's what he was calling them to do. And um, I'm sorry, I'm closing up here. This morning, God is calling us to return to our first love. He's calling us back to the basics of our foundation, which is faith, where our new life began, because it's that same faith that is required to continue in that new life and to grow and to mature and to reach our full potential. It's all by faith. It's so simple. How critical is it that we walk by faith and not by sight? That we lean not into our own understanding, but trust in God's word with all of our heart? Well, that phrase, Meg, the righteous will live by faith. It is one of the most quoted Old Testament scriptures. It, we read it first in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And then it's quoted in Romans 1, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 5 7. Galatians 2, 20. Galatians 3, 1. Hebrews 10, 38. All of these New Testament scriptures quote that one Old Testament scripture of Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. That's how important it is. We walk by faith, not by sight. And in fact, Romans, or Hebrews 10.38 says to let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because he who made the promise is faithful. Let us continue how we, how we can spur one another on toward love and toward good deeds, not giving up meeting together like some are in the habit of doing, but rather meeting together and encouraging one another and even more as you see the day approaching. Remember those early days of your faith when you just received the light you endured great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you're publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side by those who were being treated that way. You suffered along with those who were in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew you had a better and lasting possession ahead of you. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. But you need to persevere. So that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. For in just a little while, he is coming, and he will certainly not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. And then God says, I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Verse 39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. We belong to those who live by faith and are saved. So let's just pray together. Jesus, help us to live by faith. Help us to speak to our doubts. Help us to speak to our impossibilities, what you have promised about them. Forgive us. Forgive us for being ones who shrink back. Forgive us for being ones that stay in our comfort zones, who only do what we're able to do. 
As we learned last week, forgive us, Lord, for giving you our leftovers. Forgiving you what we have after we give to everything else. Lord, help us to be a people of faith that put you first in everything. Who believe in the impossible. For whom the supernatural is just common and ordinary. Help us to live as you live, Jesus, outside of ourselves, in the realm of faith at all times. Thank you for that promise that you'll never put us to shame for doing it. Even if we're walking by faith and we didn't hear you correctly, you will not let us be put to shame. You will honor those who live by faith. You call them righteous. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being our safety net when we step out into the risky danger zone as we trust in you alone, Lord. And we're excited for this adventure of faith that is beginning here and now. Release healing and deliverance and freedom and wholeness and completeness to us, your bride, first. And then let us be ones who carry it out into this community, freely giving everything you have freely given us. Help us to walk by faith and to see your kingdom come here on the earth, even as it is in heaven, in your name. Amen. Amen. Because if I don't end, I'm going to go on and on and on. I'm excited about this topic of faith. So let's get out there. Live by faith. See what God wants you to do. Something beyond your own ability, beyond your own resources, and see if he doesn't have your back and take care of you through it. Amen? Amen. All right. Be blessed. I'm looking for some testimonies next week. Yeah.